Well, good morning. I hope you guys are all doing really well. Um, I just want to add one thing that we didn't have on the video as a reminder. This Wednesday is our membership class. If you consider JFC your home and you say, hey, I want to be part of the JFC family. I want to take that next step. I really want to plant some roots and I want to, you know, just kind of commit to this being my church home. Um, we have our membership class coming up Wednesday, October 23rd, 7 o'clock p.m. here at the Lone Tree Campus. You do need to sign up for that, and you also need to grab a membership packet. If you're like, well, what in the world is membership all about? It's a great opportunity for you to go grab a packet, read through it, even come to the meeting. You're not committing yourself to anything. We're not selling anything. You know, our church is not trying to get you to, to buy into a product that we have or any of that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, throw away all the ideas of what you think membership could be. And go grab a packet, look it over, and ask the Lord if that's something for you. But I just want to remind everybody that is coming up this Wednesday. There is child care available, but you do need to sign up and you need to grab a packet. This is the last opportunity to do that. Um, we are in the last message of our Epicenter series. I'm going to follow up, or I'm going to finish up everything with a, a message on humility. Um, but what I really need is I need God's presence to be in this place and to be upon me and just to be here with all of us for open hearts. So would you guys just pray with me before we enter into this? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come here and to worship you freely, Lord God. God, I thank you for the life and the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you that every day you have a, a brand new message and life that you want to bring to us, Lord. And so what we ask this weekend and right now at this service, Lord, is that you would come and that you would meet us in this place. God, that you would use my words and that it would not be ink on paper that I teach, but that would be just about the living, risen Savior and the life that comes in knowing you serving you, loving you, and the love that you have for your children, Lord. So we give you this time, we give you the next 45 minutes, and we just say, may you have your way, Father, that we love you, we praise you, in your name we pray. Everyone said, amen. amen. Don't put Jesus first this year. That sounds like heresy, doesn't it? Doesn't sound like something that you should hear from the front of a church in a pulpit. Well, it's at the top of your notes, and it's actually the title of an article that I read in a Christian magazine written um, by a well-known pastor here in the United States that leads a very large church. And just as you probably are drawn into this idea of what in the world, how, where in the world can you go from there? You have a bad start where it's going to go downhill from there, right? I thought, you know, okay, why are you going to write an article in a Christian magazine from a well-known pastor, a guy that I've, I highly respect, who's going to write an article that says, don't put Jesus first this year? So like every good pastor, I opened up the article and I started reading and I'm like, okay, if this is heresy, I want to know. But I really want to know what this guy has to say. And I was actually quite astonished and touched by what this pastor had to say. And here's what he said. He said, you know, so often in the Christian life, what we do is we build and establish our lives. And we start putting the building blocks together to create this life that we've wanted to create. And then what we do is we put Jesus on top of it. And we say, Jesus, you have first place in my life. So we've built our lives and we put Jesus on top of it. But what Jesus really wants to be is the source of life, the reason that we build, the one who has told us where to put each block, as opposed to just building our lives and creating it and then putting him on top of it and saying, now you can have it. What he really wants to be is the reason that we live. And so we are in the end of this Epicenter series, and that's what we've been talking about. We've been talking about what if we lived our lives not the way we wanted to, what if we lived our lives not the way that we thought was the best way to build it and to establish it and to put things into motion, but what if our lives were completely centered on Jesus as the source and everything that we did came out of our relationship with him? 
I think it's a really cool idea. I think it's easier said than done, for sure, because the natural state of humans is to want to go and to control and to make things the way that they want it to be, you know, and not necessarily with bad intentions or whatnot, but that's kind of the way that we all handle life. And so the challenge that we've brought over the last four weeks is the fact is Jesus wants to be the center of your life. Jesus wants to be the source. Jesus wants to be the guide. Jesus wants to be the one that is empowering you, encouraging you, bringing life, bringing joy, bringing comfort. But he wants to be the one putting the building blocks together. And he's ready to do it if you're ready to let him. As I thought about this idea, though, I recognize that there's one key element, I believe, that every believer has to have in their life in order to successfully let Jesus be the source. And I think it's humility. So as any good pastor, I, uh, you know, when you know that you're going to teach a message, you go online, you pull up miriamwebster.org, and you go and you look up the word of what you're about to teach on, and I'm teaching on being humble. Humility is the act of being humble, so I looked up the root word humble at miriamwebster.org. I don't know if you guys are like me. Um, you know, I, I don't think our 5 o'clock p.m. service last night was because they didn't think that this was interesting, but if, um, <laughs> I think it's really interesting. I just thought, Okay, I was going to go look up the word humble, and I recognize I don't own a physical copy of a dictionary. I am so reliant on the internet. I don't know if anybody else is like that. If the internet were going to go down for like 10 minutes, my life would be over. So I don't know if you guys are in that same boat, um, but I went on Merriam-Webster. This is legit. I didn't make this up because the, the internet was working at that point in time. And here's what the, what the scholarly definition of humble is. It says, not proud or arrogant or modest, having a feeling of insignificance inferiority, subservience, etc. Low in rank, low in importance, low in status, low in quality, or just downright lowly. And then the last one is courteously respectful. How many of you guys are like, yes, I want to be humble. I want to be lowly. I want to be low in rank and low in importance. Please, God, make me low in importance. You know, I, uh, I read that, and I was actually kind of down. I was like, oh, man, like, that doesn't sound very fun to preach on, you know, low in rank, low in importance and whatnot. And I felt like the Lord has been speaking to me, though, about humility and about being humble over the last few months and about a whole different mentality of how we need to think about that. I think there's two kinds of humility. There's humility towards man, and the Bible actually talks about that. It says, look at other people better than yourselves. Treat them the way that you want to be treated. Serve those people. Put yourself last. And I think those are all principles that we understand we can apply to our lives, whether you're a believer in Christ Jesus or not. You can be humble towards man no matter if you have Christ in your life. It doesn't matter. It doesn't require Jesus to do that, but it is a biblical concept of serving others and putting them before you. But I think there's a type of humility that requires us to know Christ as our Lord and our Savior to actually live it out appropriately, and that's humility unto God. And that's the humility that we're going to talk about today and the humility that quite often I believe we miss in our lives. 1 Peter chapter 5, it's in your notes, but if you brought your Bibles, you can also look there. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 through 6, it's actually the second half of 5, and it says this, it says, be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And this is really interesting. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. It tells us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. 
Now, this is a very different type of definition than the dictionary definition that we just read. It's talking about humility is putting yourself under God, not looking at yourself as least important, not looking at yourself as some trash that's on the ground and, you know, putting yourself as low as you can, but it's saying true humility towards God is recognizing that He is God and we are not. And our position in life has to be to put ourselves under him in service to his kingdom. Amen. That's biblical, humanity, or biblical humility. That's the understanding of humility towards God, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. I just wrote down in my notes, you guys might want to jot this down, biblical humility towards God is not humiliation. It's not making ourselves look stupid to humiliate ourselves in front of other people. That's not what it is. It's not weakness. Some people think that you give away authority of your life and you're a weak person. The strong person grasps authority and does whatever they want to do. They don't care. It's also not done unto man. Biblical humility towards God is not something that we do for men or to men. It's what we do for God and to God. And it's not our natural position. You see, the Bible tells us that when sin entered this world through man, the state of the earth started to happen in a fallen um, way. And since that, since that point in time, it's, humanity is falling off the face of this earth. We're walking away from God, actually, more toward, than, than we are towards God. And I think that we see that in the generation that we live in today. Quickly, we, people in society is running away from God as opposed to towards God, and it's because of sin. The Bible actually says that in our natural state now, we are at war with God. That the way that we want to act, that the natural things within us are actually working against God. And so we have to implement things in our lives where we are purposely working towards God or for God. Amen. It's not the natural thing. Biblical humility towards God is not something that you're just going to wake up in the morning and be like, I think I want to do that today. Yeah. You're going to have to take some steps in your life to make it happen and to apply it. Amen. And I hope that you walk away from this weekend and this message with some tools that are going to help empower you to do that because there are easy ways to implement this in our life. Biblical humility towards God is a choice. It is done unto God. It is, according to 1 Peter chapter 5, what God uses for promotion. Anybody in here want to be promoted in their life? Maybe it's in a physical position, maybe it's spiritually, maybe it's as a husband, as a father, as a wife, as a mother. Anybody want to move up in this world? Be humble to God because it's what he uses to promote people in their life. And it's also part of God's character. You know, I thought it was really interesting as I was studying this, something that I pulled out was the fact that God, the creator of all things, has humility as part of his characteristics. The one person or being that probably doesn't really have to have humility because he is the top chose to have humility. And in Psalm 113, verse 5 through 6, and this is not in your notes, just jot the, the handle down. Psalm 113, verse 5 through 6, it says, who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high? The answer to that is nobody. Nobody's like the Lord our God who dwells on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth. He humbles himself even to have to step down to the level of the heavens because he wants to have relationship with us. And I think it's our responsibility to want to have relationship with him. If he can be humble, tell you what, we need to be able to be humble. 
So we're going to talk about three key elements today to being humble toward God. The first one, I believe, is identity and then being sure of who you are. Being sure of who you are. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 tells us, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Who are we? Quite simply, we are made by God for God. That's the foundational level of who all of humanity are. Whether you're a believer or you're not a believer, God made all people, and he made them for the fact of loving him. He created them for relationship. Now, not everybody is going to walk into that relationship with Christ. Not everybody is going to have that relationship with God. But we are foundationally from the creation of earth and the creation of man created by God for God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us that, um, I'm sorry, Mark 12 tells us um, that the greatest commandment is this. The, the, so Jesus is teaching, right? And a bunch of people come up to him and they say, they're trying to trap him. They're trying to catch him. They're always trying to, to throw these tricks at him. Be like, okay, I'm going to get you one of these times, Jesus. But how many of you know they never got him until they just forced it and they lied and they said he was doing something that he wasn't. But in Mark chapter 12, they asked him a question. They said, Jesus, what do you say the greatest commandment is? And all of us have heard this probably if we've been around church for any amount of time. He said, the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. First thing in our lives. Love God with everything you have. And he said, the second is like it, though. Love your neighbor as yourself. You want to know what your identity is? Your identity is not your job. Your identity is not your position in the church. Your identity is not found in how many friends you have or who you're married to or what your social life looks like or how many Facebook friends you have. I'm serious. We've wrapped our identity up in all of these things and say we're only valuable if we can have over a thousand friends on Facebook or whatever it is. You know, it's ridiculous. I guess I'm not valuable because I don't have that many on Facebook. Um, but the reality is, is that's our identity is found in none of those things. Our identity should be found in Christ Jesus alone and the fact that we were created to love God with all of our heart and to love people. And I think that we need to recognize, we need to boil it all back down and say, you know what? If you could do those two things, you've got your identity right there in your hands. You're God's. He loves you. He desires a relationship with you. He doesn't look down upon you. And so you don't need to continue to just keep searching for that. See, the great thing about um, knowing our identity is it actually promotes humility. Knowing who you are and why you're here, it promotes humility in your life. Now, the opposite is very true as well. If you don't know your identity, it promotes pride. I've used um, Dr. Henry Cloud. I've used um, some quotes from him before. He's a, he's guy, the guy's brilliant. Go pick up any book that he's written, and I promise you, you'll get something out of it. But he said, he used a definition, or, or has a definition of humility that I really like. And he says, humility is not having a need to be more than you are. Humility is not having a need to be more than you are. So the opposite is quite the same. Pride is having a need to assert yourself to be more than you are because you don't know who you are. Pride is walking around in our life saying, I have to go and assert myself into this position because I'm not quite sure if it's actually who I am, but I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to make this work. 
because I really don't know who I am. And that's the prideful stance of humanity quite often is like, I'm going to make myself famous. I'm going to make myself important. I'm going to make myself this or that. And the foundation of it comes from the fact that we don't know our identity is found in Christ quite often. Colossians 2.18 said it this way. It says, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual minds. False humility, although from the out, outer perspective, many times it looks appropriate, it, what it is, is it comes and stems from the unrenewed mind. How, how do we have a renewed mind? In Christ. You want to know who you are and you want to have true humility, you have to have the foundation built upon Christ Jesus or else everything else in our lives will be false humility. You can only have true humility with him. And I think it's a very important perspective to have. So I thought about this idea of identity. And um, this year, we put three kids into school. It's the first year that we've had that many children in school, and it's, um, it's a great blessing. They're not in every day, all of them. Um, we have a, a preschooler, we have a kindergartner, and we have a second grader. And so something that I really felt like God put upon my heart and something that I just was encouraged to do with my children was every day that I'm at home with them, I do my best and pretty successful with it to remind them um, or to ask them two questions every morning before they go to school. If I'm dropping them off or I'm not dropping them off or whatnot, I try to always remember to ask them two questions before they go to school. The first question I ask them, I do this with all three of them, and they love it, by the way. Um, I ask them, who are you? And every morning, all three of my girls, they tell me, we're a pillar, because that's our last name, <laughs> right? So I'm like, okay, I'm going to let you know who you are. You're a pillar. But I said, what do pillars do? They said, we love. We love. Who do you love? We love God and we love people. Who are you? I'm a pillar. What do you do? We love. We love God and we love people. Every day that I send my kids to school, I want them to know that the most important thing that they can walk into that day with is the understanding that I don't care how great they do academically or maybe how difficult school happens to be over the next you know, 14 years of their lives. But what I want them to know is success in their life is going to come by knowing who they are, not by what they do or how many friends they have or how much their teacher likes them. Their success is found in knowing their identity, that they are a pillar. And we as pillars love God with all of our heart and we love other people because that is what we're commanded to do. And when we walk into our day as believers, I think that we need to constantly remind ourselves of those things. So often we go into our days knowing all of the things that are set forth before us, knowing all of the stuff that we have to conquer, and we get so wrapped up from the moment we leave our front door or jump in our car, we're consumed with life, and we quite frankly, myself included, forget to tell ourselves who we are. We forget our identity. We forget that, you know what, for today to be successful, I need to love God and I need to love people. I'll tell you what, there's a lot of days every week that I hate people and I'm not sure about God. <laughs> That's the reality because my mind has not been renewed that day. Because I didn't remind myself when I started that day and when I walked out what my identity was. And I walked out of humility 
into pride, thinking that I can just take on this world by myself. And I'll tell you what, anytime we do that, we will fail. God wants you to know who you are. Every person in this room is a child of God, bought by the blood of Jesus. Every person in this room was created for his love, from his love, and created so that we will reciprocate that back to him and that we'll give it out to the people in our lives. Not just the people that live in our household, but all the people that we come into contact with every day. Our responsibility is to know our identity, know our identity and to live it out in our lives. In order to be humble, you have to know who you are. In order to be humble towards God, you also have to be mobile. You have to be willing for God to move you. There's a, there's a small portion of the Bible um, that's given, over to, uh, given away to stories about this small people group that you may have heard of, and they're called the Israelites. You guys heard of them before? Yeah. yeah. Most of the Bible is written, most of the Old Testament's written about the Israelites and about God's plan for them and the development of that and whatnot. Um, and uh, this group of Israelites are God's chosen people. They're the people that God set out and said, you are my chosen people. And if you know about the story, I'm going to give you um, a lot of history in a very short amount of time. Um, but here's what happens. God's chosen people are put into slavery in the land of Egypt. And they're held under bondage and captivity. And as you can understand, God's not super happy about this, but he allows it to go on for a period of time. But at a point in time, God releases his people supernaturally from the hand of that enemy, from captivity, and releases them. Physically releases them. Lets them free from that slavery. They're released from the bondage of slavery, and they walk out from Egypt into the desert, led by a man named Moses. You guys have probably heard of him before. Moses leads these people around, and we come to a point in Scripture in Exodus chapter 13, verse 20 through 22. So here's what's happened. They've been released from slavery. They've been released from bondage, and now they're wandering through the desert. And they're walking, being led by Moses. Keep in, keep in mind that we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people, maybe even upwards of a million people plus that are here wandering through the desert together. It's a, it's a large population of people. Exodus chapter 13, verse 20 through 22 says, So they took their journey from Succoth and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night before them or from his people. Why do I read that? I read that because I think that we can learn a lot from this story. We recognize that, Jesus, or that God released his people from captivity, set them on a course through the wilderness, and they wandered for 40 years through this wilderness. But he didn't leave them to their own to just try to find their own way. You see, he told his people, I have a promised land. I have a chosen place. I have set this place out for you. So I'm releasing you from Egypt, from captivity, from bondage, so that you can get to this place that I have set before you. I have created this for my people. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, I think it's verse 20 or 21 or something like that, it says Moses is, is looking back on them wandering through the desert, and he's telling his people, he said, we were released from slavery so that we could go to the place that God has for, for us. But in order to get there, you're not just going to find it on your own. You could be released from slavery and captivity and wander for the rest of your life until you die in this desert. The only way you're going to find the place that I've set forth before you 
is if you follow me. And how did he set for them to follow? Every morning when they woke up, they would look outside of their tents and peek out. And they would look for where the pillar of cloud was. And wherever it was, they went. Wherever, every morning when they poked their head out and they saw where that cloud was, they followed it because they knew that's where God was leading. They were dependent on God to lead them in their lives. Now, there was a point when we read about this story that we all recognize that they're like, okay, I'm tired of doing this. God, I do not really care about poking my head out and seeing this stupid cloud again today. I want to keep my tent here. My feet are tired. I'm hot. My kids are whining. I'm, I'm done with this. The people started to grumble, and they started to complain. But the thing that they forgot was, in order to get to the place that God had for them, they had to follow and be mobile. Be willing to be mobile. Because I'll tell you what, they had an option. They had an option of knocking those stakes in a little bit deeper into the ground and saying, you know what, I'm planting here. There ain't nothing around, but it's better than walking around for 20 more years. They had an option of saying, you know what, I'm not going to be mobile. I'm not going to go where you want. I'm just going to sit here. Thanks for releasing me from slavery and putting me into the desert. And I think there's a lot of believers that have done that in their lives. And I want to challenge you. If you find yourself in a place wandering in the desert, you're like, I had this experience with God. I was saved by the grace and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I walked out of the bondage of this life. But now I'm wandering around and I've set up a tent in the wilderness. And I'm like, oh, man, this is great. It's a whole lot better than it was before. Are you being mobile and going where God wants you to go? Because I promise you, if you do, the place he has for you is far greater than the place you are right now. Moses said to his people, do not forget, he released us from slavery, not to leave us in the desert, but to give us the place that he set for, before us. Heaven is set before all of us. And that is ultimately the place that if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, that he set for us. But I also think here and now does not have to be a wilderness the whole time. I think that biblically, if we follow where God is leading, maybe we don't have a pillar when we walk out of our door, a pillar of cloud you got a pillar. I'm a pillar, right? A pillar of Marcus. Um, but maybe you don't have a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire by day and night. But I'll tell you what, when you ask God, God, lead me, show me where to go, he will be faithful in your life to show you and to direct you just like he was faithful with his people who wandered through that desert. He did not set you free to just wander. He set you free because he has something far greater for you in this world even. God is wanting to lead us if we're willing to follow. It requires a willingness. It required a willingness from those people to follow where he was showing them. And only the willing could arrive at the place that he had for them. You know, I put it this way in your notes. Give up control to get something better. Give up control to get something better. Where he is leading is better than where we are. But you have to release control to him. Being mobile means that you don't control where you go, but he controls where you go. Now, that's a hard concept in the, the world that we live in because, you know, so much of our lives are built upon what I can do, how much I can succeed. You know, if I put my mind to this, I can will it to happen. I can work out so, you know, I can do this so, so much. I can put so much time and energy and effort and money into it that I can make it successful. But what God is saying is, you know what? Maybe you can have some limited success in your life, but what I have for you, if you're willing to go where I'm going to show you, you can go into places you'll never find by yourself. You can do things that you can never make happen on your own. 
just like the Israelites, if they just decided we're just going to wander away from the cloud, I woke up this morning, there's the cloud there, I'm going this way, I'm done, never would have found the promised land because it required direction from God. I've told the story a few times, but, and so I won't belabor the point, but I'll tell you just in a brief um, scenario, um, if you haven't heard it before, Amy and I, my wife Amy, we met in YWAM in Hawaii, in Kona, Hawaii. We were living in Kona, Hawaii, and we were working with YWAM, Youth with a Mission, a Christian missions organization. And so we met in 2003. Um, we weren't even interested in each other. I had actually gone with a long relationship into the place. And, um, and so we went because we were just on fire for God, and we loved traveling the world, loved sharing the love of Jesus with people, working with orphans and widows and all different kinds of different things that are going on in this world, sex trafficking and all that kind of stuff, and just sharing the love of Jesus with people across the globe. I mean, we literally went all, all across the globe. Um, and so we did that, and God just created this passion and just birthed this passion in both of our lives for traveling and for sharing Jesus with people all over the world, people of different skin colors, people that spoke different languages, people of great wealth, and people of nothing. We loved it. And it was something that God created us passionate about or put passion in our hearts for. So in 2004, um, we spent some time together and uh, really recognized, oh, man, we, we really um, liked each other. We enjoyed each other, having fun with each other, decided to start dating. In 2005, we decided, you know, well, this is, let's not just date, let's get married. You know, this is a great thing. God's, God's birthed this and um, just, you know, the fact that, um, she's an incredible woman, and I was like, I can't lose this, um, so let's, let's get it on paper. Come on, let's do this. Don't run away from me, please. Um, so in 2005, we decided to get married, so we moved back here to Denver. Amy, um, her family obviously lived here. I'm from Texas, but I moved here, um, and we decided to get married. So when we moved here, what we said, even verbally with our mouths, was we're going to move here, we'll live here for a year, and we'll move back to the mission field. Because that's what we felt like God had put upon our hearts. Not trying to say that foolishly or any of that kind of stuff. We said, we'll live here for a year, and we'll move back to the mission field. And so we started working here at the church, and some, some things started happening. We thought we were going to do some, some administrative work, and we actually started doing children's pastoring because there was a need here in the church. And uh, so we did that for a little while. Amy found out that she was pregnant, and we were like, okay, maybe this year is going to be extended a little bit longer than we thought because obviously, you know, having a baby out there as opposed to having a baby here doesn't sound as nice. So let's stay here where we got all of the things that we need at our fingertips. We're well blessed. Let's not just jump ship. We can give it a little bit more time. So then it's like, okay, well, maybe, maybe we'll be here for two years. So we had our first daughter, Isabel, and life is starting to pick up. We decided that before we had Isabel, that Amy um, wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. I was completely behind that. I recognized that I did not have the grace in my life to be able to be a children's pastor by myself. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna, we're going to have to hand this over. Um, so we handed that over. I started doing full-time media here at the church, and we did that for the next five years. Amy did a lot of things here in the church. I did full-time media. She continued to have children. Um, our <laughs> it's true. Well, yes. Listen, she does all the work. So we continue to have children, but she's the one who had to go through all of the sacrifice for that. And I'm very thankful for that. But over the next five years, we recognized that life was speeding up very quickly. 
things were happening, and we looked back and we're like, man, this one year turned into two years, and this one year turned into three years, and this one year turned into five years, and this one year today turns into eight and a half years. Well, two and a half years ago, God did a work in our lives, and it came this way. We were getting really antsy. We're like, you know what, God, we have been here for six years. It is time to go. That's right. You have put this passion in our heart for the world. We have not even really traveled together internationally much since, since we started having children. Like, why would you put this seed in our heart and plant this thing in us, make it something that just goes, is pumping through our veins, and for six years we're just sitting here? You know, not that we weren't doing ministry. We were happy to do ministry, but it came to a point when it was just like, you know, what we were doing was kind of autonomous. It was kind of like, you know what, I would come to the office every day, and I would do my job, and I would do it under God, and I loved Him, but it was one of those things I was like, I'm just not challenged anymore in this. I feel like I'm just, I'm at the end. I don't know, I don't feel like I can go anywhere else from here. I can't make something else happen out of this situation or this scenario. I'm as far as I could walk down this road by myself. And so, Amy and I started talking, we started praying, started asking the Lord, started looking at you know, the world started talking about where do we want to move? What are these places? Where do we know people? You know, where would be a good place to bring our kids? How are we going to sell our house? How are we going to get rid of our cars? I mean, we started thinking about everything. Like, let's go. Let's get ready. Let's pack it up and see how quick we can get out of here. And it was during that time, spending time before God, we, uh, we felt the Lord speak to us both independently from each other, and to challenge us. And the one thing that I specifically felt like God asked me in these words, felt like God said, Marcus, are you willing to give back to me what I've given to you so that I can move you into the place where I want you to be? Are you willing to give back to move up? And it was a super huge challenge because it's one of those deals that's like, why would you wire me like this and then ask for it back? Seriously, why would, you, why would you make me so passionate? Why would you put me with a woman who loves the nations as much or more than I do and then ask for that back? We've just spent the last six years of our lives planning to do this, and now you're asking for it back. So we wrestled with this. We wrestled with it. Ultimately, coming to the, to the place of having to answer God one way or another. And the answer that we gave was the fact, you know what? God, we will give it back to you. We will give back to you what, you, what you've called us into, what you've made us passionate about, the things that is, are running through our veins, and we're going to give it back to you and trust you to let us move where you want us to move. And it was in that submission to God, telling him, you know what, we'll be mobile to do whatever you want. Not mobile and go where we want to go or where we think the best place is, to be, but to be mobile to see where you're leading and to walk down that path. And what happened very quickly thereafter, after we gave that back to God, was an opportunity arose for us to come in and step into the campus pastor positions here at the Lone Tree Campus. We had no prior knowledge of that. We, had, we actually had no desire for that. <laughs> we had no want. We, in fact, we had even said with our mouths for years, if a campus pastor position came up, we don't want it. That's, we're going, we're leaving. Like, you don't want to put somebody who's going to leave in a campus pastor position, right? But we gave it back to God, and He did something that was supernatural. He moved us into a place that we could have not found by ourselves. We couldn't, we couldn't even have recognized what, what that looked like. 
We had no vision for it, no understanding, because our minds were focused on this one path and direction. But when we stopped and looked and said, God, where are you leading? We saw where he was, we walked down that path, and he opened doors supernaturally in our lives that we could have never opened ourselves. What did it require? It required us to be mobile. But more than just saying, God, we'll walk in a direction with velocity. God, we will walk in the direction that you are guiding us. Even if it's in the opposite direction that I think I want to go, I'll go. People of humility towards God need to be willing to be mobile and go where he's calling you to go. Because when you are willing... He will show you the way, and where he will take you will be far greater than you can get yourself. The blessings that we've had because of walking out this, I believe, are far greater than the blessings we would have ever seen on the other side of it. I don't know what, you know, years from here look like. I really don't know, because I just want to be mobile. We have just put ourselves into a position. We've actually recognized now over a period of eight and a half years that, like, everything that we say, it's like foot and mouth. It's like... (laughs) You know, seriously, it's like, oh, we're going to do this. We're going to go there. It's going to look like this. It's going to happen like that. And God's saying, shut up. (laughs) You don't know. Just wake up every morning and find out where I'm at and follow after me. That's my responsibility is to wake up every morning just like the Israelites did and look out of my tent or my house and say, okay, God, where are you leading today? Sure, I need to drive to work because I got things to do there. But as I walk out in my day, my responsibility is supernaturally to ask God, position me in the place where you want me to be today. I'm not thinking about tomorrow so much. Tomorrow can worry about itself. I'm thinking about today. Where do you want me to be? And that's part of humility, a huge portion of it. All right, let's get going. Reliance. The third thing that I think is extremely important for a believer, and it's actually completely necessary for every believer to have If you want to be humble towards God, and that is reliance, to be desperate for a Jesus encounter every day. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Here's what I've found to be true in the life of every believer. And that is our responsibility is to pursue Jesus every day. Because if all we do is pursue an experience with God, experiences will fade. If all we do in our lives is come to God and say, give me an experience with you. And he gives us an experience. He brings us salvation. He brings us new life. What we do is we do this. Thank you, Lord, for this experience. I'll take it from here. And we walk our lives out. And we look back every once in a while and we're like, I remember that experience. That was a good one. Thank you, God. We walk away and we walk away. And the further we get from that experience, the more distant it becomes. The more faint the remembrance of it becomes. The less real it actually becomes. The less I can remember about it. The details start to fade. The feelings and the emotions start to go away. And I'm like, man, God I thought I had an experience with you where you touched me so greatly. What happened? Here's what happened. Our real responsibility is this. Today, I'm going to encounter Jesus. Fill me up. 
do whatever you want with me. Today, I'm going to encounter Jesus. Fill me up. Do whatever you want with me. Today, I'm going to encounter Jesus. Meet with me. Come walk with me. Today, I'm going to encounter Jesus. Today, I'm going to pursue you. I just want to meet with you. Come and meet with me. You know what the cool thing is? Is that Jesus doesn't just want to give us an experience. He doesn't just want to bring us salvation. He wants to bring us life every single day. It requires us to be open and willing and desiring and wanting and running after him to get it though. Not to walk and to take our own lives into our own hands and say, all right, thank you for the experience, let me do this. It is about positioning ourselves every day in a place that we have to rely on him to have anything. Let go of what society says, and that is that you in your hands have the ability to make success or to bring life or to make joy or to have happiness or any of that money is going to buy you this or that, that this marriage, this new marriage is going to make you so much better. What you need to do is you need to lay all that down and you need to come before the throne room of God. Be like, I just need an experience with you because I, this life is just throwing so many different things at me. I'm not sure what to do with it. He's wanting to meet us every day. But we have to be desperate to want to meet him too. He's calling us. Are we answering? You see, we can't just rely on past words, but we need to receive fresh manna every day. We talked about the Israelites as they're wandering through the desert. You know what? Something cool, maybe you've read this, maybe you haven't read this, something really cool about when the Israelites left. They left with really nothing. They were slaves. They didn't have anything. They had themselves. So as they walked out into this land and they're wandering around, they have no food. God says, don't worry about it. I will provide food for you. So what happens? We read about the miraculous hand of God bringing what's called manna from heaven every day for them. Every day they would wake up, they would walk out of their tents, they'd look for the pillar of cloud, they'd walk towards it, they'd find manna lying on the ground. I don't know what it was exactly, but they would find it. It was food. And they would gather it together and they would eat. And they would be full. And they would be filled. And they would have everything that they needed for that day. The really interesting thing about manna is this, though. God said, you cannot gather that manna up. If you gather that manna up and you throw it in your satchel and you walk through, and you tomorrow try to eat the food that you just gathered, it will be rotten. It didn't last. So what did they have to do? Every day, not only did they have to get out of their tents and they had to look where God was leading them, they also had to find the manna for that day. They didn't have the luxury or the opportunity of taking food and storing it up for months or weeks or even days. Every day they had to trust God to rely on Him to be their food and their source the thing that sustained them. The really cool thing about this is, this not only has a physical understanding with the Israelites, this has a spiritual connotation in our lives. God is bringing us food every day if you're looking for it. If you're looking for it. There's, there's far too many times I find myself in a place of having an encounter with, with God, an experience with Jesus, and I've put it into my satchel and I walk away and I recognize the next day, it's stale or it's rotten, 
not because the experience was rotten, but because my responsibility is not to live off of my experience with him yesterday or my encounter with him yesterday. It's to have another one with him today. He is bringing us food to eat from, but we need to look for it. We need to be willing to go and search and to find it. The cool thing is, is you don't really have to go very far to do it. All you really have to do is be like, all right, Jesus, where's it at? Where's, where's that life that I know that you have that you can give me? Today, I do not feel your life. Today, I'm, I'm not sure how I feel, you know? But I know you're there, and I know you want to provide the sustenance that I need to get through my day today. So give it to me. Please, Lord. It's a position of putting him first, of submitting to God's authority, to putting ourselves underneath him, just like that scripture that we just read in 1 Peter says. Have any, has anybody in here ever raised kids, or are you in the middle of raising kids? So maybe you're like me. Maybe you've realized you know absolutely nothing about parenting. I'm dead serious. My wife and I have six children, and every day I realize how much less I know about parenting today than I did yesterday. No matter if your child is, you know, six months old or 60 years old, you're probably still learning what it means to be a parent. And the reason for that is because life happens. Children grow, situations and scenarios come up that you've never experienced before. Then you have another kid, and you think that the way that you handle one situation with this kid is the same way that you're going to handle it with this kid, and it's going to be successful. And what you realize is it's completely not successful. And then you're like, I don't have a clue how to do this. I'm horrible. I don't know anything about parenting. If you're like me in parenting, then you're going to relate to me in this way spiritually. And that is, life happens and changes. Situations and scenarios go on. We walk out our lives into new things, and if I think I know how to conquer today because of my past experiences, I will fail, just like I would fail as a parent if I wasn't willing to learn about new ways to love my kids and new ways to parent them. I would fail as a Christian, walking out my life at least, if I just thought everything that I need for my life, I'm going to get downloaded to me today. And I'm going to go out and I know everything. I've consumed all knowledge I need to successfully live. Everything that I need is right here. I just got to roll with it. Let's do this. And then what happens is life changes and curveballs are thrown at you. And stuff, you encounter stuff. And if you think you know it all and you're not willing to learn and to be reliant on God to show you, then you will fail. I don't want to say that in a way that is defeating to any person. But if you have raised kids, you recognize the need for God to show you, what am I supposed to do? My kid will not stop throwing a fit, God. And I have tried every trick that I've read in every book. What do I do? How do I handle this? I don't know. That's the position that he wants us to be in in our lives. That's the way he wants us to live, being reliant on him. So it all boils down to this one thing. And this, God has been speaking to me for months personally. 
So this message is like months in the making. I only found out a couple weeks ago that I was going to be teaching on this, but it was so appropriate because this is something that God's been doing in my life personally. Um, a few months ago, about three months ago, I'll do this quick. About three months ago, we took a, a time as a staff, a JFC staff, to just spend some time before God, and the challenge was hear from God. And so I went and I sat off by myself with a paper and pen and just asked God, God, speak to me. And what he said to me was something that I was not quite um, thinking I was going to hear. I was thinking like, Marcus, I love you with my whole heart. You are the best person I've ever created on this planet. <laughs> you know, like, it's everything that we always want to hear, right? And I know that God loves me, and I know that how he thinks about me, and I know he's not looking at me, you know, down with a scowl and a finger. But, you know, you never know what you're going to get, right? If you're coming with a willing heart, you don't know. You just listen to what God says. And here's what God said to me. He said, Marcus, Three words that you don't use enough are the words, I don't know. I don't know. So naturally, like every person, I went, I don't know what you mean, God. <laughs> right? I'm like, of course I use it enough. I just used it. But I took that word that he spoke to me. Marcus, there's three words that you don't use enough. And those are the words, I don't know. And I started chewing on that. And I started thinking about it, and I started asking the Lord, what do you mean with this? Started just trying to really just pull God's heart. Show me what you mean. I think you're right, but I don't know what you really mean with that. And so over the past three months, I've had an opportunity to just be downloaded just so much information from God about this for myself personally. But what I want to present to you is this. What God specifically said to me that I think is applicable corporately for all of us is that in the words, I don't know, that's where true humility is found. I don't know means that you give everything back to God, that no matter how much knowledge or wealth of information or life experience or all of the information, if I could suck it out from all of the brains of all of you people and put it into here, if I could just realize and recognize even with all of that, I know nothing to make me successful, I'm in the right place. The ability to say to God, I don't know, gives him the authority to do whatever he wants in our lives. The ability to come to God with our hands open to him to say, God, I don't know, but you do, gives the opportunity for him to speak. God, I don't know how to handle this situation. I don't know how to deal with this person. I don't know how to continue down the path of success. I don't know even what to ask you for. I don't know, God. This is not a foolish mentality. This is not a mentality of coming to God being like, oh, I'm an idiot. I don't know anything. This is a mentality of coming to God saying, you know what? You've given me great wealth of knowledge. You've given me great blessings. You've set me down the path of life. You've called me into so many wonderful things, but God, what I recognize is I don't know how to have real life. I don't know how to have your joy today. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to think in this situation. I don't know what to say here. I don't know how to be a good parent or be a good father. Those are the same things. <laughs> be a good husband. Be a good pastor. I could read all the books. I could try to apply those things to my life. And I may get some limited success, but God, I don't know how to do it in a way that's supernatural because I have no ability in me to do that. 
Only you do. So I'm going to invite our worship team up here. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a moment at the end of this service to just come to God and to do exactly that. It's probably one of the most humbling things you can ever do is to come to the end of yourself because that's where you'll find God. At the end of yourself, only when you're willing and able to tell him, I don't know, will we find the life that he has for us. So I want everybody to stand to your feet. And I want you to do this. Maybe for some of you this is uncomfortable, and I really just don't care. (laughs) I'm dead serious, because we are here to try to bring you to a place where God can meet you. And this has kind of just been my mantra over three months. God, I don't know. God, I don't know. And I'll tell you what, when I, when I actually do position myself successfully in a day to receive from him his wealth of understanding and wisdom and knowledge and blessing, there's been great success. And the days that I don't say that to him, I carry my life in my own hands and I fail every time. So here's what I want you guys to do. I want you to hold your hands out and I want you to look at them. Don't look at somebody else's hands. Don't look at my hands. Look at your hands. And I just want you to ask the Lord, God, would you reveal that to me which I'm holding on to, that I need to let go. The thing that I think I know everything that is necessary to make this successful. The thing that I'm strangleholding maybe in my life. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your future. Maybe you're just saying to God right now, God, I don't know how to think about this thing. God, I don't know how to deal with the success that you've given me. God, I'm not sure how to love my spouse right now. God, I don't know how to be a good parent. God, I don't know how to be a good husband, a good wife. God, I don't even know how to hear your voice. God, I don't know why I'm here in this room right now. God, I don't know. But you do. And I ask that you would speak to me right now. I ask that you would download the great blessing, wisdom, knowledge, affirmation, direction, peace, life, joy to every person in this room. God, we come to you right now with our hands open in a position of saying, what we have we give to you, saying we don't know what to do with any of this. And what we do is we hold our hands back open, Lord, to receive from you what you have for us. God, we as your people cry out to you not just for an experience that will fade, Lord God, but for a time when we can just have you bathe over us that's not gonna, it's not gonna fade away because tomorrow we're gonna have the same thing. So we give you that time right now and ask that you would meet us in this place. Church, we have crosses if you need to go pin something to him. Maybe there's something that you're just strangleholding and you need to go give it to him and you need to pin it to his cross, pin it. There's communion at the crosses. We don't have, it's all self-serve this weekend because all of our men are down or up in the men's advance. There's prayer in the back and there's worship. Whatever you need to do to be able to just hold your hands open in the place of saying, I don't know, but you do, God. Have your way and let's do it right now and let's enter in. Pastor Tom.